Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 53. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Welcome to September. Welcome to the school year. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Welcome to the school year in the Northeast. But a lot of kids have already gone back to school, actually. Yeah, Florida went back, Virginia went back. I feel like the Northeast has always been a little bit later with getting kids back to school. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I always went back after Labor Day. And the same thing for you. And then I went to college down in Florida and ran into kids who could not believe that we started school that late. I think it's really all weather related is because they don't want to keep kids in school during, you know, the hottest times of year down south. Yeah, it could be. Well, at any rate, we were sort of on the fence about doing these movies and then the decision kind of got made for us. We yes, actually we had re- a special request from across the pond. Yes, which to this day, regardless of how many years I've podcasted, it still amazes me that these things have the reach that they do. We heard from our friend Thomas Meehan, a listener from England, who actually said, hey, I have a couple of movies I'd like for you to do. On that list was this trilogy. And we said, you know what? Your wish is our command. You're taking the time to listen to us on the other side of the world and send us an email. So, Thomas, we want to give you what you're looking for here and talk about High School Musical. Yes, thank you, Thomas, for reaching out. And likewise, if anyone has any requests, please feel free to get in touch with us. Yes, monorealradio at gmail.com is the email address. Or, of course, you can reach out to us on our social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at monorealradio. High School Musical 2006, this was a global phenomenon. Oh, my God. It was like the next Spice Girls, the next boy band. It was such a craze. Now, and I'd never heard of it. So this was when I was still in college, and I was working part-time at Best Buy. It was my high school job that like, I went back to during summer breaks. Right. And I was there like the morning that they unboxed the DVD for High School Musical, which I, in spite of the fact that I was a Disney fan, I was in college. I was not watching the Disney Channel. I had no idea what this was. And all I remember is we opened the doors to the store at like 1030 in the morning and the place was flooded with people looking to buy this DVD. And to the point where I almost held a copy to myself to buy to watch when I got home. Well, you should have. You should have jumped on board the Efron train early on because you're such a fan now. I am. Oh, yeah. I'm outing you right away. That's uh, Listen, I've outed myself in the past. <laughs> I, am, I am a fan of Zac Efron. And that's, that's a statement that when, when these movies were huge, I never... Th- you know what? I don't want to say I never thought I would say it because... Without getting too much into him, because we obviously want to save a lot of the conversation about him from when we review the film here, I remember going to see, when we were working at the radio station and we would get tickets to film premieres, mm-hmm. um, we got to go see Seventeen again. Yeah, and with uh, Matthew Perry from Friends, who and Zac Efron played him as a child. Right. Or as a teenager. So I remember thinking, well, it's free. What do I care? And we went and I said, you know what? This kid's actually really good. It's not a surprise because if you look at 
people like your Miley's that go on, you know, from a kid's show or like a Demi Lovato or something like that. Selena Gomez. Well, I think she was Nickelodeon. But they all were child actors that like really transitioned. Yeah, Ron Some Howard. Than others. Ron Howard was a child actor and Ron Howard's become what he had. Not a, not a musical guy, but he was a child actor. Even Travolta. You know, we're going to go through the script here and you'll see a lot of parallels to Greece and there's a whole conversation about that. But Travolta... He was he did Grease, he did Welcome Back Cotter, and he did Saturday Night Fever. He did a lot of these kind of poppy movies and TV shows and then became what he became today. I'm talking about though like if you're looking at Disney specific. Like right. obviously Miley was Hannah Montana, but then you go earlier in the 90s, how many people were on Mickey Mouse Club? Like obviously Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears are the most well-known. You also had JC from Sync, but also Ryan Gosling. And, and even, a lot of people don't know that. And even going back to the original Mickey Mouse Club right. with Annette Funicello. I mean, Disney has a history, of, or Haley Mills, you know, yeah. like just going back and back and back in, into history. And for a time, it even looked like Lindsay Lohan was going to do that, where she had this Disney contract and did a bunch of these movies and she would explode. She's her own other... She exploded. Of, she did. She's her own other bucket <laughs> of problems, but... You're right. It's no surprise that he wound up this way and and having the career path that he did. So I think at this point now we should just get into the plot here of High School Musical. Do you agree? I actually have a really weird relationship with this movie, though. You know, oh, that's right. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, how you weren't really familiar with the film and you were going to watch it. I kind of got sucked into the phenomenon having never seen it. Um, one of my closest friends, when we were in college, he's a big Disney fan. He's gone on to become a cast member. He's done really, really well with the company. He was the one who put this on my radar and he watched it on the Disney channel and, you know, he thought it was really cute, but, you know, he really enjoyed the movie and he was like, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. It's, you know, like this idyllic high school scenario and he really liked high school musical. So I was like, okay, whatever. And I, I just never really got around to watching it. And then... My other best friend from high school, um, she had a sister that was about, or she has a sister that's a lot younger than us. And um, her and her friends were like really, really into high school musical. And what I did with my friends in high school, we're really going to date ourselves, uh, real world was very big at the time. So we made like a fake real world hop hog which will never see the light of day i have it on vhs it has never been transferred to dvd i will never put this thing on youtube but anyway her it sister would be so easy to make this happen nope um you'll never find it i if maybe maybe but i need your kiss tape hmm that's an interesting proposition all right, we're going to discuss this off air. Continue with your story. <laughs> yeah, Sean has a, a tape of him as a kid in Kiss Makeup that I have to get. Anyway, um, her, my friend's sister saw that we made this real-world spoof, and she wanted to do something similar with her friends. So what she ended up doing, and it was actually really cool, um, for her birthday, her mom threw her a slumber party, and we kind of like recreated this movie. So she gave each of her friends a role, and 
they weren't exactly like they didn't do like the Gabrielle the Sharpe. They were like their own person, but we kind of followed the story of High School Musical and I filmed the whole thing and then I edited it overnight which I'm still not sure how I pulled this. I mean, like I've done a lot of sleepless nights working in television, but I mean, this was, it was a lot. We got a lot of footage during the day and then I cut the thing up and then we gave it out the next morning as like the party favor. So everybody went home with a DVD. Um, but it was, it was really cute. It was actually cool to do, but like I had still not seen the movie by this point. I had seen bits and pieces of it because I knew I was going to have to familiarize myself to shoot this. And then they were watching it after we were finished filming. Um, so I got to see some of it, but like, it, it's just weird how much it was ingrained in my life without actually having seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I totally forgot that that was sort of your introduction to this movie. Yeah. And well, then, then I think it was just so in my face, I was like, no. You no. got to take a step back. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the movie opens on New Year's Eve. There's a party at a ski resort. We meet a bookworm named Gabby and a jock named Troy, who couldn't be more different, but after sharing a duet at a teen party, they exchange phone numbers before Gabby disappears into the crowd. Their holiday break ends, and we are back at East High. Gabby and Troy are reunited after Gabby's mom gets a new job, forcing them to move. Troy tells Gabby his friends don't know about his singing. That's going to be like their little secret. We meet Sharpay, who encourages new, quote-unquote, background actors. Because Troy and Gabby have now seen that they obviously sing well together, and they've posted a sign for, audi for auditions for the high school musical, and Sharpay, always having the lead, is encouraging them to be background actors. Because, of course, nobody can, you know, unthrone her as being the lead in everything that she does. I don't think that ends at just the musical. You mean musical. We are going to get into that <laughs> in detail. Uh, Troy tells his friend Chad that they will get extra credit if they audition for the musical because Troy actually kind of wants to audition for this. But Chad tells Troy to keep his head in the game and focus on their championship try because Troy, as I mentioned, is a jock and they're getting ready to prepare for their basketball championship run. The game is in two weeks. Ryan, who is Sharpay's brother, catches Troy looking at the auditions list and tells Sharpay, who gets suspicious after doing some research on Gabby, she finds out that Gabby really is this brainiac because while Troy is looking at the sheet, so is Gabby, and Sharpay is suspicious, so she does this internet uh, search, finds out that she's this brainiac, does all these uh, decathlons. And she passes this information along to Taylor, who captains their um, academic decathlon team, who in turn invites Gabby to join them. But Gabby, she didn't want to just be the brainiac girl at her new school. She wanted to try something different. So she was outed here. She didn't know that they had gotten this information, nor did she want them to get this information. After noticing Troy and Chad are missing from basketball practice, Coach Bolton has it out with Miss Davis, their homeroom teacher, and tells the boys to go back to practice. Well, why weren't they at practice? It's because they all ended up in detention. Basically, every member of this cast ended up in detention in Miss Davis's homeroom class for texting on their phones. 
which side note, I thought was very interesting that that was something that they pointed out with flip phones back in 2006, because now people basically have their phone spot welded to their hand. Right. Um, and I'm going to bring that up later. Okay. Um, well, anyway, so we then find out that college scouts are going to be at this championship game and coach Bolton, who is Ch- uh, Troy's dad as well. Um, he is emphasizing the fact that he needs him to be there. He needs him to be the team captain. He needs to be the leader. This is their shot at glory and college scholarships really mean a lot nowadays. Troy tells Chad the next day that he can't come to an extra practice during free period while he sneaks off to the auditions. Sharpay and Ryan audition, and it would appear that they're a lock for the leads, but after hearing Troy and Gabby sing, Miss Darvis uh, decides to grant them a callback, much to the dismay of Sharpay and Ryan, as well as the guys on the basketball team. Troy and Gabby's friends decide that you should stick to the stuff that you know and believe that they need to pass this message along to both Troy and Gabby. Chad tells Troy his singing is ruining the basketball team, and Darvis accuses Coach Bolton of trying to sabotage her musicale. Um, (laughs) Troy confides in Gabby that he doesn't want to just be the basketball guy, though. He wants to be more than that. He then misses another practice to work on his song with Gabby, um, and when they enter the gym later... His father kicks Gabby out of the gym again, much to the dismay of Troy. Coach Bolton tells his son that he is the team leader and not just some guy. So it sort of throws back to a conversation that Troy and Gabby had just had a few minutes earlier. Uh, Troy and Gabby's friends scheme against them to distract them from their callback because the guys want Troy at the basketball game. He wants They want his focus to be there and... Taylor wants Gabby's focus to be on the decathlon. The basketball team confronts Troy and names all of the Wildcat legends who never took their heads out of the game, including Troy's dad, who was a champion in 1981. And they get Troy to admit that he doesn't really care much about the show, the callback, or Gabby. Meanwhile, they are broadcasting this entire thing over the internet, and Taylor shows Gabby the video who is heartbroken and later tells Troy that she doesn't want to do the callback. After seeing how upset Troy and Gabby are, their friends come clean about what they did and encourage them to go to their callback. Troy and Gabby uh, reconcile and are able to balance their other activities with their audition. Sharpay and Ryan convince Miss Darvis to move the callback to the same day and same time as both, you guessed it, the championship basketball game and the decathlon so that the athletes and the scholars can be put in their rightful places and not interfere with the musicale. But those athletes and scholars devise a plan to take care of everything. So before the game, Coach is in the locker room with Troy, and he's starting to kind of soften his stance on this entire thing. And he tells him, I just want you to go out and have fun. So while this is happening, Ryan and Sharpay audition for their callback. And in their eyes, at least they're killing it. Uh, Meanwhile, the decathlon and the championship game are happening. As I mentioned, they're all happening at the exact same time. East high wins their decathlon 
Uh, they then use a computer to knock out the scoreboard and the lights in the gym, forcing the game to be paused. They then release an odor from a beaker that they have on a Bunsen burner um, that empties the room and... Now, everybody must evacuate to the auditorium just in time to see Troy and Gabby's callback. Troy returns to the game and hits a buzzer beater to win the championship. We also find out that Troy and Gabby have been awarded as the leads in the musicale, while Sharpay and Ryan are the understudies. And Sharpay then tells Zeke, another member of the basketball team, who comes out as a baker, while all of this is happening, and this is like the other earth-shattering thing, is that he tells the guys on the basketball team that he loves to bake and they can't have any of this. Well, Sharpay tells Zeke that his cookies are amazing, and he offers to make her a creme brulee. Um, yes, that is literally the script and the plot <laughs> to this movie. If you see a lot of similarities to Greece. There is a reason for that. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, and you're not far off, because at least on a broad level, a broad spectrum, this was the script for Greece 3. Yes, it's not enough that we had one Greece film. <laughs> it's not enough that they made a second Greece film. That is far and away worse than the first one. They were going to make a third Grease movie. And if you thought the second one was bad, this one was going to be led by Britney Spears. To quote Mark Cuban, I'm out. <laughs> Justin Timberlake. In. The other members of NSYNC. So in. Christina Aguilera. My 90s heart is beating very fast. Olivia Newton-John was coming back. Ugh. Travolta was coming back. I love me some Olivia Newton-John, but th th that's a real mixed bag of cast there. I mean, I would have watched for NSYNC, can't stand Britney. But I, I can see where they wanted to do this because at the time their careers were so hot. And to tie it back to the original Grease, like if they made it, I guess... Dan Danny and Sandy's kids like I can see where all of this was working together and I can see where they would have wanted to do Grease for like the next generation but you know we've said it on the show before we we hate Grease it's a terrible movie it's not that I hate Grease no I hate Grease you hate Grease I it's used to love movie. Grease as a kid but the problem with Grease is that I have seen it too many times. Because any time it rained, or any time you went on a school trip and you were on a bus... Or on a cruise. Or in our case, on a cruise. The go-to was throw, throw grease in the VCR. I've seen it too many times. And I actually... Do you want to know where the root for my hatred... Well, like I said, I don't hate grease. My saltiness towards grease... You know what the root of it is? Because there's storylines that go nowhere and lines of dialogue that mean nothing. I'm not well, No, even though that is all true. When I was in junior high school, oh, I, right. I had a band and we got approached to be Johnny Casino and the Gamblers in Greece because that was going to be the play that we were doing in eighth grade. 
And it was a miserable experience that led to me and one of my best friends still to this day having a big disagreement. It was like, this is like something out of VH1 about the direction that the band was going in. Oh, my God. I want this tape, too. It's double or nothing if you want real world. So here's the thing. I'll give up the grease tape because all I did was play guitar. This was the other thing. And we got into a fight. This, now, ladies and gentlemen, this is all true. We got into a fight with the teachers who were running the play because we auditioned. It was, the, it was me, my brother played drums. I, would, I was the lead singer and the guitarist. My other buddy, Dan, well, my, Dan was, was the lead guitar and our friend Matt was the bass player. We were the band. That's just what we were. We audition, and then we go in for the first rehearsal, and this other kid, I think his name was James. I really don't remember him. He comes up, and they give him a microphone. I, well, what's he doing? They said, he's Johnny Casino. And I said, no, he's not. I am. They go, no, he is. You auditioned to be the backup band. And we said, no. I thought We all thought that we were doing this and that we were going to be the band. We don't, we don't bring him in to sing for us like we, right. like we thought who we were. But then again, we were like the only real band in junior high school. We were one of two, and the other band was a punk band, and they wanted nothing to do with doing Grease. Sure. And so like from the start, we had it out with everybody. Sounds like you had your own Darbus. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, actually. But... Anyway, that's this has gone off the rails here. But that's where my saltiness, that's the root of my saltiness from Greece. I liked it up until the point that we were going to do that, and I have not liked it since then. Because even though we didn't follow the exact storyline, because when you're 13, you really can't follow the no, storyline of Greece. you can't. So it's a very watered-down version of it. Since that day, I have never looked at Greece the same. Or have enjoyed it as much as I did when I was a kid. And this was made ten times worse because we were on a nine-day cruise in the Caribbean, and it was Greece was one of three onboard movies. So you can imagine how many times over the course of nine days it it plays on the TV. The other two movies were the Karate Kid remake, which was terrible, and thank God the third was Waking, Waking Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty. Beauty. You guys can go back and listen to our review. We tell this story there as well. Uh, it was um, like one of the first 10 or 15 episodes that we did. You can go back and listen to it and then hear our interview with uh, the legendary Disney animator Randy Cartwright. Back to why we're here. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk some high school musicale. Um, I will say this, the first time that I saw it, I really didn't like it. And I think that was because it didn't seem true to the high school experience at all. Um, I think first of all, the, you know, starting with Darbus herself, um, her blatant display of favoritism towards Sharpay and Ryan would never fly. Like in our school, everybody tried out for the musical. Everybody got in. It just really determined what kind of part you got. Um, so I find it very hard to believe that an authority figure would have been allowed to put down kids that much because obviously I mean that's that's where the comedy comes from is she's taking this way way too seriously but the way that 
you know, she's turning kids away in the auditions. I don't think that would fly anywhere. I hate everything about Miss Darvis. Yeah. I hate the fact that she says, musical. Number one, nobody speaks that way. You do when you're in the theater. (laughs) See, here's the thing. I had plenty of theater kids in my high school. Nobody actually spoke this way. No. Even the most serious ones. No, our theater kids were just kids who liked to perform. There was nobody, it was one or two that were over the top. But it, it wasn't this bad. I had Sharpays and Ryans, but there was never a Miss Darvis. Because Miss Darvis does not promote what she claims that she does. She does not promote expanding your horizons and bringing more people into theater. She's not a talent seeker. This is all like self-serving. But she keeps saying, expand your horizons and expand your reach, but not the jocks. You'll ruin this. Right. So everything about her, her dialogue, first off, her, her lines are terrible. Everybody's lines are terrible. I disagree. Oh, all right. Hit me with it. Well, I want to finish talking about her yes. first. Musical, stop it. <clears throat> That's number one. She's too over the top all of the time, not just with musical. She's supposed to be. We get it. You don't know sports. We get it. Putting on their shorts and going into basketball and throwing touchdowns. Again, nobody is that disconnected from reality. Right, like when Chad is holding the basketball in homeroom, she says, she this isn't a hockey arena. arena. And that's about when I want to just do like a slap shot with her. Nobody is this disconnected. And a lot of the teachers, I understand that they all have their own interests. If you're in the art department, if you're in the music department, you want money, you want funding. That's how you get your projects off the ground. But you're not going to blatantly hate school athletics. You're just not. Right. No, it's and that's what I'm saying. This is so I understand that this is supposed to be where the comedy comes from, but it's just so unrealistic because as a teacher, you're supposed to foster creativity and encourage your students no matter what medium it's in. Yeah, participate. Yeah. Just participate in something. Like that was the thing. In high school, I was taking video production as an elective and all of my teachers knew and like by my senior year, if they saw me walking around with a camera, and I was supposed to be in class, nobody questioned me. Like, not that I was taking advantage of it, but it was like my go anywhere pass. Like, you saw me with a camera, like, nobody, it was like, okay, do you, yeah. whatever. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, even if you were in one class, and that that's where it's unrealistic as well, because I find it very hard to believe. Like, I get story-wise where you had to do these archetypes of these high school groups because, you know, your story crumbles without that because this is about being stereotyped as one thing and wanting to do more. But that was never the high school experience because you were never just involved in one club, especially from my experience. It was so drilled in our heads, like getting involved is in as much as you can. You want to build up your resume for college. You want to get accepted into college. You need to be well-rounded. It was never preached to focus on one thing. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit different. Like, if you're in a sport, that does take up so much of your time and energy. 
but like we were never ever told to do just one thing and that was part of what initially made me really really dislike this movie but taking a step back now and I can appreciate that they weren't going for realism so I'm going to try and just stick to what is there and and how the story does or does not work as opposed to trying to compare this to real life so here's the thing first off I can forgive the archetypes when it comes to the kids Because in high school, you are an adolescent, and you think you know everything, and you don't. I was guilty of it. I'm sure you were guilty of it. Totally. Everybody was. The archetypes for the kids make sense. It's when they do it with the adults that can't see past their own nose where it becomes totally fake to me, and it stands out as such. Although I do love the relationship between Darvis and Coach. I I think it's funny. I don't. Only because, as I said to you before, you could be an art department person or a music department person or an athletic department person and not care about any of the other departments because you don't have a vested interest in it. Mm. But but you don't hate the other departments. Right. Now, maybe maybe this is how things are in some schools, and I'm sure in some instances there are. But I never experienced this. I've never seen it. And to me, it just doesn't seem real. No, especially because like, even if there was a scheduling conflict, because I was involved in a lot, like I was after school every single day at one club or another. Um, I was in the high school band, which was a class. So like that was first period in the morning, but we did have to do a lot of extracurricular with it. Um, and then on top of that, I danced at night and that was outside of school. So like I was going, 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 but like if there was ever a scheduling conflict, everyone was pretty forgiving. I think that was because I was a responsible kid and I always showed up and I never missed anything, but it was like, if I had to miss something, my teachers knew there was a darn good reason for it. Right. Um, okay. Let's talk about. Let's let's start breaking down the script a little bit more. More than just Miss Darvis, uh, Darvis and the issues that we have with her. Yeah, because th- I could go on for hours about her, like how she would never be allowed in a boys' locker room. Oh my god! How about that? Yeah, that's and how Coach thought nothing of it. Yeah, see, that's where you say this is my domain. Get out. Just forget the fact that you're in a locker room. I mean, who who knows now with gender equality? what they're going to do maybe that's that will fly eventually eventually but but not not when this movie came out so that's the thing like you can make the case for and this is sort of the purpose of the show does this hold up 10 years from now that shocking occurrence of her walking into the boys locker room might not be so shocking for people sure but certainly when the movie came out it was and for anybody that had already been through the high school experience. I understand there was supposed to be drama to that because she was so out of her element, but it just wouldn't happen. Right. And it wasn't an empty locker room either. Like it was after practice. Yeah. Guys are in the showers and they're wrapped in towels. This would be a human resources nightmare. Right. In any school. School board nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you're, you're saying You like the dialogue. Well, let's rewind back to the beginning of the movie. All right. Some of the dialogue I like. It's not all of it. 
It's not all of it. I do think that the dialogue between Gabby and Troy, for the most part, I think it's believable. I think it's natural. I think, and I think a lot of that has to do with Vanessa Hudgens and Zac Efron. Obviously, they had an off-screen relationship as these movies went on, but the chemistry is palpable, though. It's really. Good. I mean, they're they're. He's a very talented actor, but like, she's all right. So, you know, they they clearly weren't faking it. There wasn't that much acting to do here. But it works. It really works. I think that it's natural. I think a lot of it is fun. I think a lot of it is genuine. No, and they were a cute couple. Yeah. I did like them together. They were really cute. Now, can you make the case for the actors saved the script? Maybe. But I, I don't think in their, at least if we're going in, in you know, micro scripts, I don't think that their dialogue was bad at all. No, theirs wasn't. My dialogue issue comes more from story and exposition than it does with the characters. I think that this script falls victim to the same thing that makes Hallmark movies bad, is that you are cutting for television. So you have two hours to fill, and you have to get that plot out. So, like, I'm talking about instances like when Gabby's with her mom on her first day of school, and she's like, but I don't want to be the freaky math girl again. And it's like... The, the principal is like leading her into the classroom to go introduce her to her new classmates at this point. And it's like, it just feels very rushed. Like, I almost feel like this would have played out better if they had the conversation on New Year's when her mom's trying to go force her to go to the party. Like, obviously, we see she'd rather be reading than going to socialize. So we get that she's the brainiac. But I just feel like instances like that are kind of ill-timed i agree and what stood out to me was i don't want to be the freaky math girl but a week ago i wouldn't go to a party because i couldn't put a book down so which is it there's there's inconsistency there yeah and and that's what i'm saying because the dialogue is so rushed what she's really trying to say is that she wants to fit in at the school and she wants to make a new name for herself and that doesn't get to come out really because you're just trying to move the story along. It comes out when she talks to Taylor later on. Yeah, and to Troy. And to Troy. Um, but you're right. It's sort of rushed and disjointed when she does it with exactly. her mom. Exactly. Who coincidentally can't transfer another job until after exactly. Gabby graduates. Exactly. It, it's just so rushed and you don't that should come out in their relationship more as the movie goes on not just like okay here's all the backstory you need yeah and you don't you know you don't know why she's a single mother with Gabrielle you don't know what the situation with her father like that's all stuff that we should be seeing but again they would have had to rush yeah yeah I mean it, it doesn't to me that that doesn't add a ton to the movie because the focus is obviously on the high school musical. I mean, it is literally in the title of the movie because they couldn't call it Grease 3. Um, I, I get what you're saying. Right. There's there's character development that was left on that the table. Get now, maybe happen, yeah. we haven't seen the other, t the other two movies yet, admittedly. I have. Okay, I have not. 
Oh, I got sucked in real hard. Okay. So in my, for me, maybe this gets answered down the road. I don't remember. I saw them once and it was a long time ago. But like, even I would have appreciated, like, if we're going to rush through this, give me like the throwaway line of like, you know, your dad loved to sing and maybe that's why it's so important to her and that's why this stage fright that she has is such a conflict. Right. Meanwhile, it's like, I want to sing, but I have stage fright. And that's where it's kind of like, yes, you have to overcome that and that's part of what this film is about, but like, why? Nothing is driving you to sing other than that you don't want to be the brainiac and you do have the opportunity to do both. Yeah. And we obviously see that she's got talent. She has the throwaway line of, I sing in my church choir. See, they they did little things like that that worked very well. But it was still very rushed. That's in her first conversation with Troy. But it was perfect where they put it. It was because he was like, oh, do you say, well, I, I sing a little in church choir, but I freak out when I try solos. Okay, so you've already, it was a quick, quick little line, a quick bit of dialogue that set up what we're going to see later on in the film. And right. it does circle back around to her stage fright later when they go for their callback. And it's just the two of them standing on the stage in front of the whole school. And he was like, forget them. Just look at me. No. And it does work for the story because it's like, why, why doesn't Troy just make the choice to stick with basketball? Why is he doing this other than the crush? It's like, she really needs him because it's not just that, he has a crush on her. He wants to make her happy. It's that he knows she can't, she literally can't do this without him. Right. And um, that's what keeps pulling him back even when everyone else is trying to set him back. Yeah. I did want to smack the karaoke guy. Is he not the worst MC you've ever seen in your life? He's terrible. Oh, my God. Except maybe for the DJ at our wedding. He is hands down Who I actually the did worst try to smack. host. <laughs> Yeah, but he was uh, yeah, he was terrible. Maybe you'll thank me. Or maybe you won't. Oh, foreshadowing. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, that was the very 101 but <laughs> right there. even forget about that. Him standing... trying to hype the crowd. Yeah. My God. Hey, that was great by the snowboarders. Who's next? <laughs> he sounds like he's like a 60-year-old DJ trying to like make kids like older music that they're out of touch with and yet he's like 15 I'm wondering if he was a stage actor though that hadn't done a lot of film admittedly I don't know much about him because I really didn't feel the need to waste my energy looking into this one person (laughs) when we have so many other things going on but I'm wondering if he had not done a lot of film and if he were a stage guy where you're going to be a little bit more over the top to emote because you're playing to an entire auditorium. Maybe. But now I'm curious because watch him be like on Sons of Anarchy or Walking Dead now. It could be. Yeah, he could be zombie number two. (laughs) Which I would be totally fine with, to be honest with you. Like, oh, don't speak. You get hit with a bat and that's the end of you. Um, (laughs) Yes, so the... uh, Some other things that stand out to me, I know that you were really sort of a stickler for some of that dialogue. He's done nothing. I got it. Okay. Nothing since. Okay. Um, A couple of little things that stand out to me. Uh, The painted Spaldings, the basketballs, they're terrible because they didn't even paint them well. That's like the tip of the iceberg as far as production errors go. 
yeah, we'll get into the production in a few minutes. That stands out. The fact that none of the basketball hoops, other than the two in the gym, the fact that none of them are actually fixed into the ground is bothersome to me. In the gym, in the uh, ski lodge, it's like a basketball hoop that has like the water weights in it like you'd have in your driveway. And then the basketball courts outside at the school, it's the same thing. Nothing is cemented into the ground. So I look at that and I say, this looks very fake. This looks like you went to Costco, bought a bunch of basketball hoops, and used it to dress a set. Well, they, that's what I was going to say is they probably didn't buy a bunch of basketball hoops. They probably bought two and used them. I'm, I'm sure the scene in the ski lodge... Again, this is just like where the dialogue is a problem because it's like, come on, you two. We didn't travel all this way just to play basketball. I'm sure they repoed the gym set with because they shot this on location in a high school in Utah. I'm sure they just switched up the camera angles and and they shot the opening scene there. They probably did. But I think those prob those two basketball hoops are probably in the gym, in the scene at the ski lodge and in the driveway. Yeah, uh, which is also a glaring error with with this film for me is that Coach Bolton is so concerned about Troy's scholarship. Do you see where they're playing basketball at their mansion? I was going to say that is some house. I understand that you're on a gym coach's salary here, but you really should not be concerned with a scholarship if that's what you're living in. Yeah. Um. One thing where I really have a problem, and it's not so much in the dialogue so much as it is their interactions with each other, the way they dance with each other, their body language. Sharpay and Ryan. Yeah. They're supposed to be brother and sister. Their relationship is incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. I do not at all believe that they are a brother and a sister. The way that they dance with each other in Bop to the Top, especially there, I just don't buy their relationship because they're coming off like they're besties. That's not to say that you can't be close to your sibling, but nobody in, in a normal sibling relationship would be caliente dancing with their with their brother or sister like they do in bop to bop to the top right and the way that she as her brother puts him down that's where the brother sister relationship doesn't work either because you would think presumably that they want to support each other but like there are so many and and this is a credit, I think, to the performance with these two, because there are so many times that she pushes him out of the way so that she can walk first or even bop to the top. Did you notice at the end when they're climbing the ladder and he tries to take the last step and she pushes him down so yep. he won't be as high as her? I feel like, yeah, as a brother and sister, you want to be more supportive. But I'm wondering if that's because Disney didn't want to tackle an LGBT issue in this film. And maybe they didn't want to do a stereotype of Ryan as her gay best friend. And I think that that's also unfair just to pigeonhole him as a character into that role. Well, and that was something the actor that played him, he wanted them to out him. And they never did it. 
That was an issue he took with the with the film. And they should have. That's what I'm saying. Like, first of all, it would have been very progressive. And Disney definitely shied away from that. Um, You know, we see it done a couple years later in Glee. So I think that that would have solved a lot of problems if it was her best friend as opposed to her brother. Because now it just makes an uncomfortable sibling relationship. Yeah, I don't mind the fact that she's not supporting him because that's that's the character. Right. Sharpay is incredibly selfish. She's incredibly selfish. Uh, so I buy she, into them. She's so annoying, but Ashley Tisdale nails this. I got to give her credit. So here's the thing. I think that Sharpay is insufferable. I'm not saying that in a good way. I literally cannot stand this character. But I think Ashley Tisdale, yes, she nailed it. I don't I don't love Ashley Tisdale in terms of being a theater geek only because I like how she plays it but she sounds too much like a pop star when she sings it's not to say yep. now let's not yeah. let me not mask this by this is not me saying Ashley Tisdale has a bad singing voice she does not Ashley Tisdale is is very talented but she sounds too Britney Spears. Honestly, though, I think she kid. did what was asked of her. I think she did as well. Because look at the time. And if this was supposed to be that 90s movie with Britney and NSYNC and Christina and whoever, that's probably exactly what they want. I mean, Ashley Tisdale did a way better job than Britney Spears. Ever no doubt about in this it. Role. She did a great job. I like her cast in this. But for what they were trying to go for, I just didn't... I, I, I didn't connect with it. Right. And that's another area where this fell apart for me is because the when they're doing the auditions, they have the girl who's an opera singer, clearly the best singer in this film, but they still think everything, you know, the sun rises and sets with Ashley Tisdale or with Sharpay, rather, I should say. Right. Um, it's quite a musically inclined school, yet nobody good auditions and they can't find anybody to fill these roles. But nobody in the school has a qualm with just breaking out into song and dance. Yet it's only Sharpay and Ryan. You just hit the nail on the head. And again, that's where I'm saying I'm trying to take realism out of this. But story-wise, this is where it doesn't work. Because in Head in the Game, it feels completely disjointed because Chad literally just gets done talking to Troy about how ridiculous musicals are. And he's bashing them. And what happens two seconds later? They all burst out into song and he's breakdancing. So... Interesting that you bring that up. I wonder sometimes with these musicals, do these numbers actually happen in real time? Meaning, let's say that this is a real life scenario. Are these musical numbers things that just happen in the mind of the character? Or do they actually all bust out into song? Is this is this in the character's imagination? If you're talking about actual musical, the song is supposed to lend itself to the exposition. Yes. Whether it be determining what the character wants moving forward, that's usually in a solo, but that's where it falls apart in a group number like this because mm-hmm. Troy or Chad literally just talks about how stupid it is and then he's singing. 
Um, the same thing happens in status quo. Um, it's really where the wheels fall off the wagon because, you know, one of the kids who's at the quote unquote brainiac table, she wants to do like the hip hop and the popping and the locking and she's getting criticized for wanting to dance. And what happens? The entire cafeteria starts dancing. So like, you know, give me something. I understand you're trying to make her do something out of character, but like, give me something with like, I'm actually a black belt in karate. You you shouldn't have these side hobbies that are singing or dancing. That's where the big disconnect is because the whole thing is that Troy and Gabriella are being suppressed for the singing. So when other kids are doing it, like the baking thing, that works. You have a jock who, who wants to bake. Yeah, Zeke. And that, that creme brulee thing is funny every time he does it because they do it just enough. Yes. Like that, they, that didn't get drawn out. They didn't overdo it with the creme brulee. And that's it. You need something that is the complete polar opposite of the character. The brainiac that wants to dance, it's not... I mean, like, okay, it's hip-hop, but, like, if she would have busted out a rap, it would have even worked. Yeah, I agree with you there. On top of the fact that that entire scene is sort of rough, but we'll wrap up the plot here and the script, and then we'll talk about the production here, because I know that you have a lot to, that stood out to you. Oh, my God. Um, I can appreciate a few things here. First off, circling back around to Sharpay. My sawed-off Sondheim. What a what a great line! It is what a what a fantastic insult that could only come out of the mouth of Sharpay. Right, but that's the thing. The funniest joke was so over everyone's head. Like I appreciate that joke because I love Broadway. But like, oh man, what a dig! It was great. And I, I I laugh every time. I can also appreciate Troy's desire to be more than what others think he should be and i like the fact that unlike danny zuko who sort of lies to everybody right he's just lying to the basketball team no and i think it was a smart choice to make his dad the coach because now there's that added pressure it definitely raised the stakes without a question i'm not a big fan of taylor here i understand she wants to draw this girl in to be a part of this decathlon team. And I understand that they have a lot in common. What I don't like about her is that she, I mean, look, they all scheme. It's a part of the story here. But you just showed Gabby this video. Gabby is literally sitting here crying, heartbroken. And you're like, do you want to go get lunch? No, she doesn't want to go get lunch, you awful human being. Yeah. Like for somebody who's supposedly very intelligent, you 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 really are a blunt object right now. I agree with you. I think the whole setup to expose Troy was going a little bit too far. I also think there's a giant disconnect where in a film with flip phones where you're still taking a picture as the person's icon, I remember those. Um that the setup with like this Skype thing I think that was a bit too technologically advanced. Maybe um, maybe to have in a school at this point in 2006. I mean, there was video calls and video mail. I, that of all the of all the issues, I can sort of overlook that one. 
And I understand that you needed to expose them somehow. This, this was your scheme. I have no problem with the scheme itself. I have issue with the fact that you're watching your friend cry. You immediately show no remorse and go, do you want to come have lunch? Right. Because now you've become one of these mean girl jock types that you have already sort of written off. You've become the thing that you don't really want to be. Yeah, I think that's probably the bigger issue is that it's more out of character for Taylor. Mm -hmm. We have talked a lot about what this film did wrong story-wise. I want to talk about one of the things that they really got right. And I think what is brilliant about this film is that they eliminated a villain. In other words, they didn't give your typical bully role of somebody that's picking on kids for pursuing a passion. And I think that was a very smart choice because it drives home the message that the only thing that's standing in your way is you. Yeah. And I think to like, that's the thing. Darvis is an antagonist. Coach Bolton is an antagonist. Sharpay is an antagonist, but they're not flat out villains. And I think that that really were even even Taylor and Chad to a degree are antagonists. Yeah. Nobody comes out as the big school bully. Right. And there was no there was no place for that here. No, it wouldn't have made sense. Um, I said before, I like Troy in general. I kind of like his disposition on things. I now I don't know if this kind of school spirit is normal. That all of these kids, no matter what, and that's again where it's sort of disjointed, is, well, I guess it's, it is and it isn't. They want you to stick to the status quo. Mm. They want you to stay in your place, know your role, but wildcats. Right. I've never seen a school that had this much school spirit. Now, I wonder if this is a Long Island or a New York thing, because I remember when I went to college in Florida... I had friends that had friends down there that were still in high school, like our freshman year, and they were senior. Mm -hmm. And I remember no one cared about our school athletics. Hardly anybody would go to the football games, basketball games. I remember going to a high school football game in Florida, and literally the town shut down, and there had to be 10,000 people there. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's like a a Southern thing where they really rally around sports because I never had that either. That might just be a disconnect for us. So you guys let us know if you had a ton of school spirit, we'd love to hear from you and and maybe hear about your experiences on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at monoreal radio, email monoreal radio at gmail.com. Yeah. What we were more into was the week leading into homecoming people came out for homecoming and we did like a spirit week so there was like a theme day it was like pajama day school color day um or not school color day like each each year freshman sophomore junior senior had like a different color um so we were really into that but I don't think the purpose was because of homecoming that we cared about homecoming but not so much for the game my homecoming People would go to the game. People would go to the dance. We had a yeah. pep rally that no one ever really cared much about because it came off as cheesy because nobody cared. It was more about who's going to streak this year. Exactly. And there was always one. 
Yeah, or like who was going to cause trouble at the pep rally. And that was the shame of it because I think everybody wanted to get into it, but everybody was like, nah, I'm too cool for this. And like nobody wanted to actually show it. I remember the the two most memorable things about my homecoming or high school pep rallies. One was a year where a buddy of mine decided it was his year to streak, and that scarred me. God, I can't unsee that. And my freshman year was the first year that the Islanders had gotten really good again for the first time in a long time. Oh, yeah. Where have I seen that before? And people decided at the pep rally they were getting bored with the rah-rah, go Tigers chant that the the, the gymnasium literally broke out in let's go Islanders (laughs) because they had nothing. They were just done. They had nothing else. Those were the two standouts. I remember, like I said, I was in band, so we had to play the pep rally. And I remember watching my friend get in a fight with this kid that he hated and get thrown out of the pep rally. And I'm just like trying to focus on playing and out of my peripheral, I'm watching this all happen. I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) Anyway, you can probably guess who that is. But back to High School Musical. This has been a lot of trips down memory lane for us. But I think that's the root of this movie and I think where the script is smart where they were right with it is this is exactly what they wanted they wanted it to become relatable where people would take a trip down memory lane where even if you didn't have every single archetype even if you didn't have the over the top school spirit you you start you spark conversations like this yeah you can see yourself in it somewhere so in a way the script while sort of basic, it does have appeal to basically everyone. No, and I think that's also where it was really smart to remove the bully because you are creating this ideal high school where you can be comfortable to be yourself. And I think that that's at the end of the day what everybody wanted was to just be able to do what you wanted and be who you were and feel comfortable that nobody was going to judge you for it. Like, and that was certainly not the experience that I had. You had a very small high school. I had a very large high school. Very small, clicky high school. Mine wasn't as clicky. You had clicks, but we had, I, my graduating class was literally four times the size of yours. So you could kind of do what you wanted and blend in and not stand out unless you were say, you know, the lead in the high school musical or the captain of the football team or one of these jocks you knew was going to get a scholarship somewhere. No, my high school was like you did one thing and it followed you forever. But that's natural when you are such a small group. You can't blend in. You can't really escape it. Which is weird because you would think it being so small, you would have gotten to know people more. Yeah, but... There's also less room for error. My high school consisted of kids that were brought in. It was two junior high schools that had siphoned in students from 10 elementary schools. Wow. High school. Ours was like three or four elementary that merged at middle school. And that's also it, too, is that like we we had it from middle school. Like you were pigeonholed. That was it. No, we there was far less room for error um, in my high school than there was in yours. But anyway, um, 
but but back to what I literally just said. Now here we are sparking a conversation, which maybe people out there are interested in. Maybe they're not. Maybe they just want us to get back to Zac Efron, which is fine, and we will. But this is the point. I think this was the point of High School Musical, was that it's it's cupcake enough where a kid can watch it, an adolescent can watch it. I, I this a high school kid's not going to watch this movie. It's not that's not meant for them. This is meant for 14 and under. Sure. But a five or six year old kid, a lot of it still appeals to them. And on a very basic level, they can understand the grasp of it. They understand the plot. And there's something there for the adults. Where even if the adults think that it's cheesy, you don't think for one second that a parent didn't shut off that movie, even if they hated it. And then go and the mother and the father or the, whoever it was they were watching it with didn't talk for an hour about all these stories from high school, much like we just did. That was probably part of the phenomenon. I would say so. Now let's get to the part for what I was known for in high school, being a video geek. Let's talk production errors. Yes. Now this movie was directed by Kenny Ortega, who not only directed it, but he also choreographed this because he was a choreographer. He also directed Hocus Pocus, which kind of blows my freaking mind. And just got named a couple of weeks ago as a Disney, Disney legend. legend. I mean, for all of its warts, how do you not after this? I mean, th- it was huge. It was everywhere. They had, they had dolls. Dolls, Halloween costumes, backpacks, T-shirts, a concert tour. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the concert tour. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a phenomenon. He did three. Like, I mean, yeah, by rights, he should be. I mean, this was this was frozen level yeah. phenomenon. And, and yeah. the impressive thing about that is that these were Disney Channel movies. This was not something that was a theater release that did 500 million at the box office with a huge budget and a huge marketing campaign. This was a Disney Channel movie. I don't even think it was meant to go straight to DVD. Like you said you got them at Best Buy. I think that was after the fact. It was. It was. Um yeah, let's talk about production here. They said over 600 kids had auditioned and originally I don't think, well, Vanessa Hudgens may have been offered the part, but I think Zac Efron was not initially offered the part as the lead in this. I believe, and I don't remember the actor's name, they offered somebody else the role as Troy, and he had to turn it down due to scheduling conflicts. I think he was on a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. And then likewise... But I mean, you fall on Zac Efron, that's a pretty damn good consolation prize. Exactly. But this was his first movie, and I think they also wanted Selena Gomez to do Vanessa Hudgens' part uh, because she was already on Wizards of Waverly Place, so you had a name, but probably due to, you know, this is Disney versus Nickelodeon, you you couldn't break that contract. But what was interesting was that they kept, um, you know, when you get down to the final auditions, it's not just about who can sing, it's who's got the chemistry. And they kept pairing Vanessa Hudgens and Zac Efron up together when it came to callbacks. So clearly that chemistry was there from the jump. Yeah. I think they said that um, there were four different groups that would go through these auditions or they auditioned them four different times. Maybe it was that they auditioned them four different times and they kept going back to the two of them because they were that good. Um Lucas Grable and Ashley Tisdale, when they had first met each other, 
hated each other. Really? Mm-hmm. Because Ashley Tisdale said she's very much like Sharpay. That's just how she is. And he kind of walked around with the who do you think you are attitude. Mm. Apparently they very dis much they very much disliked each other. It wasn't until the end of the filming of the first movie that they started coming around to each other. Now they're very good friends. Well, yeah, because look at how much time you're spending together. You got to do all the promo for this movie. And then once it takes off, you're, you're spending hours and hours and hours together. Yeah. It's not just like when the film wrapped, you never have to see them again. Yeah. Pretty crazy, right? Movie. Yeah. Have- I think you do feel it a little bit, though. In the put downs, I mean, yeah. it it works for her character, but I it comes through a little bit. Yeah, the movie had a budget of four point two million dollars, so that's I, a return on investment, no doubt about it. I mean, this you figure this had like twice the budget as one of those Hallmark Christmas movies because Disney's behind it, right? But yeah, return on investment to say the least. But you have some of your production issues that stood out to you yeah um now let me ask you a question is some of what you're going to point out excusable because it was a no made for tv and no. b on a four million no. dollar budget no i'm gonna say it again for those in the back that didn't hear no it's production garbage that disney should have never let fly because it's not even bad editing And yeah, I might be a little biased because we'll fix it in post are the five most evil words that you can ever say to anyone when it comes to a production. You can't fix in post what was not there. And I don't care about visual effects and all that. If if the shot doesn't line up, it doesn't matter how talented of an editor you are. You can't make it work. And it happens at least three times that I caught. The first being... In the opening karaoke scene, when Vanessa Hudgens falls off the stage, Mm -hmm. they push her back up and she's not standing in the same spot when when she gets back up. Like they they cut to the next shot and she's standing way too close to Zac Efron from having just been pushed up. Gotcha. It's forgivable, but it's noticeable. Um. The other one is when they're debating going up for the audition. There's one point where Vanessa Hudgens is standing like almost level with where the seats start in the auditorium. Next shot, she's back hiding behind the wall. Pretty bad. The other one you actually pointed out, and this is such a a glaring error. Like, I don't know how I missed it. During the stick to the status quo scene in the uh, cafeteria. Yeah. Sharpay and Ryan start making their descent down. I love how there's almost like that red carpet on the stairs. I thought yeah. that that was a nice touch. And that's where it kills me is that you have that much attention to detail, but you couldn't figure this one out. Um, they cut to the wide shot and like, you know, I get it. The music is building. It comes to that point in the song where you want that shot of the full the full cafeteria dancing but they're still at the top of the stairs. So you use the shot clearly from... You know, they they did a take of, of them doing it wide, but you didn't start moving down the stairs yet. That's a huge continuity error. And at that point, it's like, you got to just part with that shot. Forget it. Just leave it out. Right. Or you you maneuver some of the other shots that you took. If you have to have that wide shot, 
So the shot of her turning and looking at Ryan and starting to make their descent down the stairs, just move it. Just move it before. It's not like anybody's singing. They're not singing. It's not like you have to match it up with any lyrics. They're just, it's reaction shots. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it, that's where you can blame the editor because why would you choose, un, unless you've got like the director or the producer screaming at you, no, use the shot. Like there's no reason that you should have chosen to leave that in. Mm-hmm. It's pretty bad. What else do you have in terms of your production notes, the things that stood out to you? No, that that was that was that was pretty much it. Okay, let's talk about the cast. That's for a just minute. sloppiness and it's not excusable. Like Disney, you're better than that. Yeah. I mean, this was a fairly large cast. So, let's just talk about a couple of them, a few of the standouts. Of course, we're going to talk about our leads here. Zac Efron. We talked about him before. I think in in general, I think all of these kids did a pretty good job. Yeah. I think that they were all real. Actually, I think they did a really good job. But I think he is the standout. He's the standout. You could tell he was having a ball with it, which was interesting to me to find out that he ended up lip syncing most of the songs in this first film and Drew Seeley provided the vocals for Troy because Zac Efron's voice they said was too deep he couldn't hit the high notes which I'm wondering if that's because you know he's got like that Bieber haircut I'm wondering if they wanted somebody more like a Bieber who was popular at the time I have to imagine if this was you know Grease 3 that that would have been the part for Justin Timberlake yeah, I just don't understand why you go out and you get Zac Efron, who is a talented actor. He's a talented song and dance guy. All right, so his voice is deep, but that's him. So why not just do it? I guess they thought that it just wasn't going to seem realistic. My guess was... Because, I mean, you got Ashley Tisdale, who sounds like Britney Spears. Right, because she already to be, had a career And she's supposed point. to be 16. She's also... I think she was the... Aside from the adults, I think she was the oldest member of this cast. No, Taylor was. She was 25. So Taylor was 25, right. So Ashley when Tisdale... They made this, yeah. And Ashley Tisdale, I believe, was 21. Yeah, there Because she's 34 now. And this movie's 13 years old, which I kind of can't believe. Wow. Didn't realize that. I'm astonished that this movie is already 13 years old. My guess would be that, here's the thing. We have to keep in mind, they shot this on location in Utah at a high school. I actually thought, and it's funny with all the Grease parallels, I thought it looked like Rydell, which is Venice High School. Uh, but it's not the same. Um, I think it's due to the time constraint. And this probably also has to do with all those production errors, why they didn't shoot pickups. They had to do this over the summer while the while school's out. So I'm guessing when they cast him, they probably didn't have enough time to do vocal training with Zac Efron. Like he could sing, but he probably needed a little bit more training because he also had to learn. He did basketball coaching or like he, he was coached for basketball Three and hours a day. dancing lessons. So like how much how much are you going to put on his plate? Yeah, well, when they started, the first two weeks of production was just dancing. Right. And they made him practice basketball three hours a day. Yeah. So I'm guessing this was probably the easiest solution than having him have to do 
like vocal lessons. I liked him as the lead. I really did like Vanessa Hudgens here. I don't like her now. I think that she did what was asked of her. I think that she was a good Gabriella. I think she was cute, but like I think that she was god awful in Rent. When I heard that she was cast in the, I think it was the Fox live action rent, I thought she was going to be Mimi. And they dare had her fill Idina Menzel's gigantic shoes. No, no way. And she's also been on So You Think You Can Dance as a judge. And I think that she's awful. So, so your, your criticism of her has only a little bit to do with the fact that you didn't <laughs> like the fact that she was unable to fill the shoes of your Idina Menzel. Yes. Okay. So there's there's more to it than that. Yeah. I just want to make sure that you're not out there. You're not out to get Vanessa Hudgens because of one thing. It, it's more with, I guess, her as a persona than actually what she did in this movie. Because I liked her in the movie. I, I think she worked for it. No, she was a cute kid. Yeah. And she she carried her, you know, she was the only one. We're going to talk about the music in a minute. She was the only one that had a solo. Which is ironic enough because she's the one that can't be a solo singer. She's afraid to do it, and she's the only one with a solo in the movie. Right. And I thought did a, I thought her vocals were good. I'll talk more about the one criticism I have with it when we get to it. No, but she got that like starry-eyed, doe-eyed thing down. If you're looking at it as a compare and contrast, and it's hard not to. She did a an admirable job when she did uh, the song, uh, where are we here? Um, when There Was You and Me is the name of the song. That's a good comparable to Hopelessly Devoted, when Olivia Newton-John does Hopelessly Devoted in Greece. You know, it's so funny that you said that because... I thought it was a combination of Sandy and Rizzo. She's got like that starry-eyed girl with a crush, girl with serious feelings things going for her. And that's where it feels like hopelessly devoted. But I feel like she's also got like the attitude of Rizzo when she's singing There Are Worse Things I Could Do. We've talked about Ashley Tisdale. Um, again, to me, she sounds a little too much of a pop singer to be a theater kid in high school. But... I do like her in this movie. We said it before. What I really like, aside from from what she did with the character, I like the character itself because with all the outfits and stuff, I love her and Ryan's wardrobe. It's like so 90s, so flashy. But she actually reminds me of Cher from, from Clueless. Um, the difference being here is that, you know, I said she's not the bully. She's not the villain. She's just very controlling and everything has to be her way so that she's the standout. She's the star and she's going to go on to Broadway or whatever she wants to do. Um, the difference with Clueless is that like Cher is very caring and they removed that element from Sharpay's character. So it worked without completely villainizing her. Yeah. Um, Corbin Blue plays Chad. He's just a good background character he actually went on probably to have one of the most successful music careers yeah um i mean like probably yeah the breakout star from this was zach efron and 
we didn't hit on this before. I'm glad, you know, he went through some trouble, but like, I'm really glad that he got his act together and he's been able to bounce back so strong because he really is very talented. Uh, but Corbin Blue went on to do In the Heights on Broadway, which was Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical. So there's like another crazy Disney, six degrees of Disney separation there. Lucas Grable, or Grable as uh, Ryan, Sharpay's brother. I love his flamboyance. Yeah. And I do kind of feel bad for him because I think that at the root of him, he just wants to do theater. I think he takes it very seriously, and I think that he gets looked at a certain way because of Sharpay. He's definitely standing in her shadow, but he also has one of the best lines to me. Like when he's um, trying to let the girl down easy after her auditions, and he's like, you know, we, we really, there's a place in musicals for everyone we really need your support, so come watch, or something like that. And oh, when he sends the- her off. Theater needs fans, too. Yes, that's Please it. Please buy that's tickets. It. Yes. Um, miss. Now I'm interested here. I'm looking at the IMDb, and it's not that we don't research before, but I didn't think I had to look this up. I've been saying this the whole time, and I'm not going back to change it. So it's sort of interesting. Miss, We've been calling her Mrs. Darvis. She's Darvis. I said Darvis. Did you? Because I've been saying Darvis. Maybe it's just me, but is it just me or do, do you hear Darvis? I, I keep, so, so I don't know, is that a post-production thing? Is that a direction thing? Because I thought I heard them saying Darvis the it's, whole time. It's not clear. I think it depends on who's saying it. So it is. I think okay. I might have even slipped a couple of times. So it is sort of inconsistent in that. It, it depends on who's delivering the line. Yeah. She's insufferable. The actress did a great job. Uh, Allison Reed. You know what I think they were going for, actually, is Meryl Streep. And she nailed it. Just that over-the-top theatrics. And then Bart Johnson plays uh, Jack Bolton, who is the coach and the father to Troy. I'm, I'm back and forth on him. I like him. I buy I buy him as a basketball coach. I buy him as a gym teacher. I do like the relationship that he has with Troy, but he is very much disconnected and sort of conflicted. He he he's conflicting within himself because he will say to Troy when they're playing basketball in their incredible mansion. I should have been a gym teacher. Um, (laughs) And Troy is sort of saying, you know, what if your friends don't support you even if you are doing what they think you shouldn't do? It was something to that effect. I'm butchering the line, but that was sort of the... that It was to that effect. And, And his father says, well, then they're not really your friends. In other words, they should support you no matter what you do if they're friends with you. Right, but do you want to be the pot of the kettle? Exactly. I understand he is trying to pump his son up and saying, you're not just some guy. Mm-hmm. You're a star athlete. You're the captain of the team. You're, a, you're a, a figurehead in the school. You're a leader of the school spirit. Right. So he's trying to like pump him up and say, you're, you're more than just average. Right. Take the responsibility and run with it. I get that. But you can't turn around and say that to your son about they're not really your friends. And then basically put down everything your son is doing after that that isn't related to the one thing you think he should be. 
No, and I think it also goes too far when uh, there's the scene where Gabriella goes to see Troy. It's like after he misses a practice and Troy's trying to make it up and then Gabriella goes to see him to let him know she's been working with Kelsey. Um, who I also really like, by the way, we haven't really touched on her. I like yeah. that, um, you know, they picked a student to compose the musical and to actually have some input in the creative production of it. Um, yeah, Alicia Ru- uh, Rulin is yes. the actress. Um, but I think it just went too far how, you know, Gabrielle is the new girl in school and then the coach comes in and he's like, oh, this is your little friend from detention. You know, like he doesn't even know her. Obviously, like this is what is distracting Troy, but like it's not even a girl. I mean, it's that's part of it, but it's really that he wants to sing. And then like just the way he dismisses her. I don't know. I thought that that was as the dad, it was going a bit too far. I agree. From the coach's end, I see it. Yeah. But I think that's I think that's the point of Coach Bolton, is that at times he has issues drawing the line between being Troy's coach and being Troy's father. Right, and that's where he is like a really strong character. And we find out that he was a champion on the same basketball team back in 81, so obviously he's been there, he's tasted the glory, he wants the same thing for his son. Is that where his mansion money came from? It must be. Yes, the NBA contract he got from uh, being uh, all about keeping his head in the game while being a wildcat <laughs> at East High School. Speaking of keeping your head in, in the game, you want to do music? Let's. Well, I just want to talk about Monique Coleman, too. Yes. Um, she was the other lead here as Taylor, leader of the academic decathlon team. As I said... I don't love a lot of what she does in this movie. I don't blame Monique Coleman for that. I just think that at times, Taylor is a dislikable character. Because the thing with... See, here's the thing. Chad, I totally buy Chad as scheming against Troy. Right. That's not out of his element. But it seems out of character for Taylor here. Right. But I also think, I mean, aside from looking young... She, for being somebody that was so far removed from high school at the time, she definitely pulled it off. Yeah, and she almost quit acting, actually. She was about ready to call it quits before she got this. Wow. And since then, I don't think she does much acting anymore. She's more of an entrepreneur now. I mean, I wouldn't. You could, they could all have retired off of this. And I think some of them have. (laughs) Some of them, I think, have. All right, let's talk about the music. Starting with Something New. This is the first song that you hear sung by Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens well not Zac Efron but sung by their characters Um, this is the duet that they do at the New Year's Eve teen party it's a nice duet it sounds like a 90s pop song for sure Um, and see here I will say this I think a lot of the songs here not all of them but a lot of them have the double meaning which I like yeah It's, we're going to try something new. As in, we're both going to try singing. I'm a jock. I'm a bookworm. We don't want to be in this party. We're going to try something new and go to this party. Then we're going to try something new and get up on stage. Then we're going to try something new and get to know each other and break a stereotype. I like songs that do that. And it's, like I said, it reminds me of something I would have heard, and I uh, rest in peace, WPLJ, this sounds like something I would have heard on PLJ 
in like the summer of 1996 on my way to the beach. Yeah, but no, I agree with you. I do like that there is a deeper meaning other than just what it is on the surface of it's the start of a new relationship. Yeah, and the song's kind of an earworm. It's catchy. I think a lot of the a lot of the music here, you could tell where where the budget went. The budget had to go into actually recording and putting these songs together because right. they don't sound cheap. They don't sound chintzy. Um, get uh, get your head in the game. Same thing. Great double meaning. And I think that Efron's acting really stands out in this scene. Yep. Because he emotes, everything is in the eyes. And he does that very well, where he's confused and he's conflicted and he's aggravated. Like he's just ready to lash out, but he's trying to keep his head in the game. Keep my head in the game. Uh, focus on basketball. Keep my head in the game. Focus on the musical keep myself grounded because right now I'm sort of losing control because I don't know what to do. I want to, I want to be here for the team. I want to be here for my father, but I also want to be there for Gabby, but I have to do this for myself. Yeah. This is where I think you can really see that Efron is going to be a, a breakout star because he's so confident. Like you have to think about it. Like the, this scene is almost shot like it's a music video. Yeah. And for somebody that's never done this before, he's working all the camera angles. He knows exactly where to look. Like, he is, honestly, like, he's doing what Timberlake was trained to do from being in a boy band. And he does it with such a confidence, but he also is still acting, and he is confused. Like it, It's really impressive, actually. He pulls off the same thing in Something New when he's dancing with Vanessa Hudgens. Yes, because... She is in that point supposed to look shy because she doesn't even want to look at Troy. But I'm wondering how much of that is part of her character being uncomfortable or how much she is uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, it's uncomfortable to watch, I will say that. What I've been looking for is the next song on the soundtrack. It's the next song in the film. I think that it works as a pop song. It also works as a ballad. That's the interesting thing is we get the reprise here because this is the song that Sharpay and Ryan sing the first time that they're dreadfully uncomfortable together. Um, <laughs> but I like it when they speed it up and they give it the, you know, the bubblegum feel to it. Right. But when they slow it down, it works as a ballad. It's a very versatile tune. Right. Um, stick to the status quo. This is probably the catchiest song. It's the one I like the most, even though it is by far the worst production error I've ever seen. It may be the worst production error, but this song is quintessential high school. Sure. This is four years in a bubble. Oh, yeah. Stick to the status quo. Stick to what you know. Don't leave your comfort zone. Don't expose yourself to be made fun of or ridiculed or lose your place in the social hierarchy. Know your role. To quote, it's like, again, throw back to the 90s. It's like The Rock. Know your role and shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. But it it's also, you know, the the setting really plays to the advantage, too, because, you know, you're walking through with your lunch tray. You just want to get to your table. Of yeah. friends. 
you know, and not have to navigate through all these, you know, they they did this um, in Mean Girls really well where they break it down, but they have the whole scene dedicated to who do you want to sit with and you know, that's the metaphor for who do you want to be now in this one, like the lines are already drawn and we see people literally jumping from table to table. Um, my, yeah, my only real issue with it is that they're not going far enough where it's like I said before, the brainiac really wants to dance. Everybody's dancing. That's, that's not, it's just not far enough or even like I love how they call them skaters in this movie like clearly that's supposed to be like the stoner crowd but Disney's not going to go there like you could have maybe made them like punks or goths or something and I think that would have worked better because the one kid likes to play the cello okay great and what like that's not that far out of the realm of what you would do in high school right we had people in band and or chorus or orchestra that were also playing football and basketball. Right. When there was You and Me, we mentioned it before, it's a really good solo for Vanessa Hudgens. I think, I, I think she sounds great. I think she carries the scene. My issue here is that not so much towards the end, but in the beginning... And maybe this is done stylistically because she's kind of the whole the, the whole song's a roller coaster ride and she's reminiscing. Mm. She smiles a little too much. Yes. Now, admittedly, I'd have to go back and watch it again. I'm not sure if it's that she's smiling too much because she's smiling as she's reminiscing about when they first got together and then she's upset as she's moving along in her own timeline of what their relationship is becoming i also wonder if that's just how she sings like she naturally smiles when she sings but i I, from the beginning of the song i remember thinking it stood out as you're supposed to be heartbroken you were literally just crying and no taylor she will not go to lunch with you did i say that already (laughs) and now you're singing as you smile about this person who crushed you I think it's more when she's reminiscing because I would have never made note that she reminds me of both Sandy and Rizzo at the same time. Right. And that's like the most complimentary thing I will say about Vanessa Hudgens and Grease ever. Pop to the top. Oh, oh please I stop. Like this one. <laughs> oh, please stop. This is the earworm. I feel like I need to shower after <laughs> after this. Sharpay and Ryan are brother and sister. Please, please stop. I do like the song, though. It's catchy, and I think they both perform it well. But the dancing, yes, that needed to stop. Uh, the thing is, I can't even listen to the lyrics. I can't even get into the song or appreciate what an earworm it must be. Because I am so uncomfortable this entire time. See, I didn't I didn't think it was like that that bad in comparison to some of the other stuff. Do I have any support on this one? <laughs> on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Monorail Radio, please let us know. Breaking free. I think uh, but, 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 oh. just hold on. Okay. 
the what I do like about it, aside from that it's catchy, I like that it is intercut with the other scenes where they're trying to race towards their callback. Um, the only thing I wish they would have done is kept the music going underneath because it's yes. like song, the Cathalon, song, uh, the basketball, basketball game. game. Yeah. And they could have let the music play out. Maybe not the singing, but like at least keep the tune carrying through. Sure. Breaking free. We're ready to move on to the next song. Yes. For Again, your sake. Good double meeting. Very poetic. Yeah. And I think that that sort of this is the crescendo, right? For the most part. We'll get to the final song in just a minute, but we're breaking free. I'm breaking free from only being the basketball player. You're breaking free from only being the brainiac. You're breaking breaking free free from your stage fright. And we're doing this in front of everybody. And we're showing, we're showing everybody, all of the people that doubted us, all of the people that didn't want us to do it, that we broke free. So can you. Yeah. I think some of the lyrics are like a little cheesy. Like I would have loved to see Mencken take a crack at this. Maybe make them a little deeper. But it's still a good number nonetheless. Well, the other thing to remember that they're presumably 16 years old. Yeah. So how deep is a 16-year-old going to get? If Zac Efron had to have somebody sing his songs for him because he couldn't hit high notes because they thought that it wasn't going to work, you can't give them... Th- these, these kids can't be so deep. No, but I think that you can give them a little bit of gravitas, even though they're they're young. Like you did it in, in the number before, you gave her some emotion with when there was you and me. Like, why not give it a little more oomph? They did, but it was still on a juvenile level. I think, I, I think it's just more the rhyming than anything else. Gotcha. Like I think it's so obvious. Like you know, making it up a little. As unrealistic as it is, this is Disney, and it is sort of a nice end, all in this together. It's so cheesy. Oh, it is straight up saccharine, but it's good. It's it's It ended on a high note. And it's like I said, when you take like real, real life situation out of this, like, yeah, this is this is what you want in a high school situation. You want everybody to be friends. You want everybody to get along. You want everybody to be able to be themselves. Am I saying, like, I think our pep rally would have ended this way? No. Not in a million years. But it's it's good closure for this film. I think to have ended it any other way would have just been sort of a letdown. Whether you think it's cheesy or not, let's call it what it is. You were watching a made-for-Disney Channel musical. This is what it was going to be. Right. To end it any other way, I think kind of would have, I think it kind of would have cheapened it. It would have done a disservice to the movie. And I think, honestly, this was your springboard for the phenomenon. Yeah. I think it was this song, everybody coming together, for lack of a better word, what what else am I going to say? But uh, yeah, I think this is what really sealed the deal. And I I do like, and I will, at the risk of repeating myself, as unrealistic as it is, I like the fact that you kind of tie everything up with a nice bow and you do 
reiterate the fact that we are all in this together, that we shouldn't be so exclusive, and that we should include everybody and and do more and, and allow people to be a jock, but also do musicals and read a book. You know, don't pigeonhole people. Right. And I think that that's the most important takeaway from everything is that high school is hard enough to get through. It's stressful enough just with your course load alone. And then, you know, you're going through all these hormonal changes. You know, you're getting into relationships for the first time, maybe. Like, there's just enough pressure and, and and then applying to college and getting through all the tests there's enough stress to begin with you don't need negativity on top of that you should just support each other so that you can make it through and get your diploma and go on and do something great with your life you should not you know and and that's where you know like i said i i said it before Take the realism out of it as far as the story because it's it's really not fair to compare. And that's where, you know, you really do tear this movie down is because it's not real. But this this is where it should apply to realism is that, you know, as far as all of this bullying, which is horrible, there's no reason that in high school, because you're going to have so many other worst problems in your life that you should feel depressed because somebody made you feel that way. Well, it's also become so easy to do when you sit behind a keyboard. Well, that's the other thing, too. I cannot imagine having to go through high school now with social media. Like, on top of everything else that you that you deal with, it's just like another outlet to be judged. It's awful. And I, and I hope that maybe now it is bringing more people together. If you are... You know, if you if you maybe do follow someone on social media that you're not really talking to in school and you see that you do have like a common interest or something. But it's, you know, it's it's awful. I can't imagine going through it now. And just, you know, even for teachers too to have to try and demand attention like there is something to be said in that scene where Darvis takes all the phones. Right. Well, that's what I wanted to get back to. As you kind of wrap the movie up and you say, does the movie hold up? I think in that case, other than the fact that they're flip phones, not only does it hold up, but the movie was ahead of its time. That they recognized that this was going to be the, for lack of better term, because they just use, this word is is very much overused, epidemic. But, for a lack of better term, the epidemic that has become cell phones, especially with adolescents, and kids are attached to these things and they can't focus in the classroom. They tackled this then on a on a micro level. Right. But they still tackled it. I think that this movie definitely does hold up. I think that it is cheesy. But when you're going to go watch something, I said it before, that's made straight for the Disney Channel, what do you expect that it's going to be? The Grease comparisons, they're all over. But this movie did a better job of casting, I thought. Not that I dislike John Travolta, not that I dislike Olivia Newton-John, but... They were 40! They weren't 40, but they were well into their 20s. So they you don't buy them as high school Sonny kids. Sonny was, like, pushing 30. Sandy. I forget the actors. <laughs> God. Well, that's... Yeah. 
Olivia Newton-John of all of them was probably the only one that could have passed for a high school kid. But I also think she was one of the youngest members of the cast anyway. Yeah. So I thought they did a good job here of finding child actors, or at least if they were adults, they could pass for a child actor. Right. They did a better job of it than Grease did. No, and let's call it what it is. You got a bunch of good-looking kids. It was attractive to, to little kids to latch on to. This movie was not going to tackle some of the darker subjects that Greece was going to tackle. Teenage pregnancy. No way. Without getting too far into the birds and the bees for our younger listeners, your parents can talk to you about that. This mo- That's not what this movie was going to. They weren't going to go after that. Right. So they're very similar, but at the same time, they are totally different movies. And for what this chose to tackle, I think they did it really well. And the first time I saw this movie, I didn't like it. I thought it was dumb. And I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say now, as I'm in my 30s, the more I watch this movie, the more I actually like this movie. Same. It does grow on me. Same. Um... Yeah, it's like I talked about at the top of the show. I had a weird connection to this movie. Um, I think I was just kind of over it and over the phenomenon by the time I came around to watch it. And I I did hate on it. I hated on the cheese. I hated on the production errors. Um, but I think that's why, you know, I've, I've said it a couple of times now is that if you choose to take the realism out of it and just focus on what it is I do appreciate it more for the story that it does tell yeah I do think this movie has a window not a shelf life but I think it's got a window I think on the on the 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 very low end maybe age 5 or age 6 to say age 13 or 14 mm. I think that's a window and then I honestly don't know that until you are in your 30s, maybe your late 20s, but until you get into your 30s where you actually do appreciate this again. Yeah, I don't think middle school or high school is going to be able to relate to it. No, I think middle school can relate to it early middle school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think anybody who's over the age of 14 through their mid-20s is going to like or appreciate this movie. Right. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, We'd be interested to hear from some of you. You let us know. Did you watch this movie as a kid? Did you watch it as an adult? Or maybe you were a 17 or 18-year-old kid that loved High School Musical. Please let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. News this week? Go back and listen to the D23 episode. Like, there has been nothing. No. But... Well, we can talk about the uh, Galaxy's Edge opening. Yes, Galaxy's Edge opened, from what I understood, Disney handled it beautifully like yeah there were going to be lines no matter what but it wasn't completely out of control yeah apparently they've done a pretty good job of maintaining the wait times for smugglers run and of course now that that's open it's also drawn people away from some of the other e-ticket attractions no and um speaking of the parks we hope that if you're down there you're still enjoying your vacation um that everyone is safe from Hurricane Dorian, um, and if you ha- had to postpone your trip, I know Disney's doing a lot uh, 
to work with everyone on rescheduling their vacations. So just be patient. I know the phones are really busy. Um, with Magical Vacation Planner, we did get a couple of emails uh, about protocol and, you know, same thing on our end. Everybody's just telling us to be patient because, you know, they're really busy trying to take care of everything. I mean, not that there's there's never a good time for a hurricane to hit anywhere. No. To say there's a good time for it would just be silly and naive. But this could not have been a worse time for it to happen. You have an influx of people coming in for the start of Halloween and Food and Wine Festival and, and Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's Edge. And now you got to sh- you got to move and shake all these people around where you're really going to get into a busy time of the year really from now to the end of the year. Right. And people are trying to reshuffle and move things around so I can't imagine what it must be like. There if there's one job I don't want today, it's answering that phone at yeah. uh 407 W Disney. Yeah, because no, they and they did close early. Yesterday, a lot of the parks did close early. Um, so as long as everyone's safe, that's that's really all that matters. And Disney will do their best to do right by it. Yes. And if you are looking to get to the parks anytime in the near future or anytime at all, really, as Jackie mentioned, she's with MVP and she can tell you everything that she has to offer and what she can do to help get you there. Yes. Um, actually, you know. It, it might be worth it if you did have a trip plan to get in touch with me. Um, even if the trip is already booked, I can help with that. Um, one of the benefits that Magical Vacation Planner offers is it is a concierge service. And the difference between booking yourself and booking with us is that we can monitor the prices. We do have to guarantee you the best price. Um, so if there is a promotion that has been applied after you've booked your trip, we will try our best to adjust the deal to get you the most cost-effective vacation for your family um so get in touch with me either through our directly through our social media at monoreal radio on facebook instagram and twitter uh or you can shoot me an email at j.zolezzi that's z-o-l-e-z-z-i at magicalvacationplanner.com we will be back next week to discuss the sequel high school musical 2 for jackie i'm sean have a magical week everyone on behalf of monoreal radio we'd like to thank you for joining us We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.